about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Well, it's Good Friday in a dark world, a much darker world than I expected to be preaching in at Easter. But I think in the midst of things today, there is much about what Jesus has done on the cross that can sustain us in the midst of things. There is much that is good still today to celebrate at Easter. It's been dawning on me in the last few days how unprecedented this time is for my generation I grew up after the Cold War in a time of of peace and increasing prosperity. We had wars overseas, but nothing significant on the home front. And yet this year we faced the existential threat of bushfires wiping out wide swathes of our countryside. And now this new threat of corona, which as one researcher has said, that the overwhelming message in the time of corona is that everyone is powerless in the face of an ominous an invisible threat that could arbitrarily strike anywhere or anyone. Before such a threat, I feel really unprepared. It's actually not surprising that we see the scenes that we see in places like supermarkets even in these days. In place of this ominous existential threat, people are literally grasping hold of anything they think might be able to secure their lives, whether that's a toilet roll or a bag of oats. Some of the psychologists reflecting upon this suggest that actually this is just the way we do life in a capitalist society. Research shows that in capitalist cultures like Australia, you deal with problems by buying things. Through times of trouble, we are encouraged to spend our way out of it. The problem is is that we are in such a time that we can't buy ourselves out of. I've had conversations with people who might even expect to be dying in the next few months. You know, before such things as this, we have no control. What we need is Mark 15. We're at the height of Jesus' ministry, at the very climax of the biography of his life that Mark tells. We find Jesus... Not before a crowd in a parade with a glorious crown, but in darkness, crying out. It might seem like a dark scene. It might seem like the wrong scene to look at today. But as we look at these words of Jesus, as he cries out, I think there is much good for us to take hold of that we desperately need in a time like this. For good things, for Good Friday, as Jesus cries aloud in the dark. The first one is this. As we see Jesus cry out in pain on his cross, I believe we are given permission to ask why. Have a look at Mark 15 with me. In verse 33, we read that at noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out 
in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are raw, painful, anguished, despairing words from the Lord Jesus. And we are, in these words, given a remarkable permission. Jesus is quoting words from Psalm 22, where the psalmist says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Literally, so far from the roar of my words. The psalmist is raw, roaring, angry, and desperate, feels abandoned by friends, foes, and by God himself. My God, I cry out by day and you do not answer. By night and I find no rest. All through the book of the Psalms are words like this, words of lament, words of longing, words that ask why. What are you doing right now? Where are you right now? Are you even useful right now? Do you hear me right now? And as we see Jesus in the darkness crying out these words, he, the Son of God, wrestling with God himself, we are given a unique permission to do the same thing, to cry out, to ask why, to ask where are you, to ask why are we in this season. You might be new to church and wondering how this whole thing works, and you're not really sure how to pray at all. What we're encouraged to by Jesus in Psalm 22 today is to just pray what's happening in our heart in all of its turmoil and despair. How to start praying today? Just start talking. If you've been a believer for a while, you might feel like your prayer life has dried up a bit, even in this season. To be honest, I'm finding it harder to pray. Even this morning, I was wrestling in trying to just work out how to talk to God. I find that in seasons like this, I'm trying to find the right words to express myself. And what God actually wants is for me to express the raw, unvarnished, thing that I'm feeling. And actually, Jesus' cross gives me permission to wrestle exactly like that. The psalmist goes on and talks about a a faith and a trust. It's not just a blind yell in the dark. It's part of a wrestling in relationship with God. And the cross invites us into and gives us permission to take up a wrestling faith. This faith isn't in Buddhism that says you shouldn't feel feelings like are in Psalm 22. Nor is it in a faith like Islam that just calls us to a divine submission to God's will, the God we see in Jesus, and gives us permission to yell out, why, as we wrestle in the dark with Jesus. But you might be thinking, well, I don't feel like I can do that. I don't feel the confidence to be able to do that. I don't feel like I'm good enough for God. I'm new to faith. I'm not going well in my faith. I don't feel worthy. But the second piece of good news, friend, is that on the cross, one of the good things of Good Friday is that we don't need to be better or more religious in a time like this. You know, this doesn't require us to just 
be better so we can have security with God or to get more religion to get ourselves through. No, no, see what happens with Jesus on the cross. He cries out in the beginning, but then he cries out again later. It says in verse 37, with a loud cry, literally it's the word for all of the, the air in your lungs, all of your life spirit kind of coming out through your mouth. It's the word for expelling your last breath. Jesus expels his last breath with a loud cry. And then the curtain of the temple is ripped into from top to bottom. Now, in the Jewish temple, there were a number of curtains. And there were different curtains for different reasons, but all the curtains marked off places you could be and places you couldn't be. For a non-Jew, there were parts you could be in and parts you couldn't be in. And for Jews, there were parts you could be in and parts you couldn't be in. There was one place in the middle that was cordoned off by a curtain that only one priest could go in one time of the year. The holiest place where God himself was. These curtains demonstrated that ordinary humans cannot walk into the presence of God and live. That there are curtains between us and God. Actually affirm our feeling that we're not good enough, not pure enough, not right enough. These curtains demonstrated our distance from God. But what happens when Jesus dies? The curtain gets ripped in two. And notice, not from the bottom up, but from the top down. You see, what, what religion is all about is trying to tear the curtain from the bottom up. If I just try harder, if I just do better, if I just obey more, if I just live a more pleasing life, if I just pray a little harder, if I just were a bit better, if I just had a different job, if I just lived a different type of life, then I could rip this curtain and be with God and be secure. That's what religion is. But what happens when Jesus dies? He gets ripped from the top to the bottom. In Jesus' death, we die. We suffer the death we should suffer when we walk into God's presence. Jesus dies in our place. He rips the curtain from top to bottom. There's no need for more religion trying to rip it from the bottom to the top. He's done it for us in his cross. It's kind of like this. I told this story last year, but I can't help telling it again. This is the first time online, at least. One of my friends, Tim, was in Dublin uh, and was you two obsessed and decided one day to visit Bono's house. He walks up and sees this view, as you can see on the screen behind me, uh, of Bono's front gate. Now, most people come to the front gate, try and kind of get to the top of it and take a photo and head off. But not Tim. Tim walks up to the buzzer presses it, and says, G'day. Someone eventually answers and says, Hi, what would you like? Tim says, Well, I'm Tim from Australia, and I'd really like to meet Bonner. Intercom goes dark for a moment. He comes back and says, Sure. The gates to the mansion open. They walk through the front yard to the front door. The front door opens. 
They walk through this majestic house, back to the backyard, back to a recording studio where Bono is, with the whole of you two, recording an album. And Tim and his friends sit in the presence of you two as they film their latest work. What began with a buzz on the door led them into the very heart, to the most intimate access, with the inaccessible, with you two themselves. You see, on the cross, every curtain is ripped. When we put on the, our finger to the buzzer on God's house, we're not left at the gate, we're not left at the front door, we're not left in the foyer. We're invited into the most intimate space, free of fear of death. Intimate, confident, complete access by the blood of Jesus, by his death, by his final breath. You don't need to be better. You don't need to be more religious. You need him. You need Jesus. Because if you have access to God, it doesn't matter in the next few months, even if you perish you will be with him in his house. But you might still be wondering about that and wondering, well, how could I be in God's house? How could God want someone like me? How could God be interested in me? And here's where we need to go deeper into the mystery and beauty of the cross, into what that cry that Jesus cries out really means. Because what we learn at the the end of this section is this remarkable moment when in verse 39, a centurion standing in front of Jesus sees how he dies and says, surely this man was the son of God. The centurion realizes something, sees something, that this is not just any old man dying. He's killed hundreds of them. This is God's only son. God's beloved son. And what's happening on this cross is that as he is forsaken, we become beloved. You see, at the beginning of Mark's gospel, there's this majestic scene where Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And a voice comes from heaven in that baptism. You are my son whom I love, literally the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. A voice from heaven calls down on Jesus and says, I love you. I am pleased with you. You are my beloved Son, and yet we get to the end point of the gospel. There is no voice from heaven. There is the voice of the Son crying up, and silence and darkness. This is the beloved Son on the cross. This is the eternal Holy One crying to the Father he has always known. And instead, the atmosphere is filled with darkness, which in Scripture is all about judgment and wrath and anger. The voice that called down love now is silent in wrath. As the Son, the 
only son is forsaken. Why? He was forsaken that you might become beloved. He receives the wrath and judgment from heaven that you might hear the voice. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you I am well pleased. You see, when God looks down at us, when he looks down at our grasping for control, he's not well pleased. As you look down at this scene where Jesus is executed by the creatures that he made, you see where that grasping for toilet paper in the shopping aisle really leads to. It's darker, more sinister core. A longing for control against the beloved son himself, against the God of heaven. When God looks at us, he is not well pleased. And so in Jesus, the the beloved son is forsaken, that the father might be well pleased with us. He sits up under our wrath that we might receive his love. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've seen. This call in the dark has secured you an identity and a hope and a security and a confidence that nothing else can. And that's why this call in the dark, this this death of Jesus makes him a worthy king. This isn't a cry of defeat. It's a cry of victory. Jesus himself steps into the greatest, deepest darkness imaginable under the wrath and judgment of God and walks out with new sons and daughters, with a new family of God. He steps into the greatest darkness and becomes the greatest king. It is his obedient act of love that makes him the worthy king who controls all. And so it puts before us all today, whether in the midst of our pandemic, whether we'll reach for our wallet and reach for the control we think we have, or whether we will cling to his cross. Receive the permission to cry out in a wrestling relationship with God, leaving behind religion and trying to be better, to receive the status of sons and daughters. There is good news today for you, friend. But you need to take hold of it. Come to Jesus. He's ready. He's your king already. He has the control you long for, the security you're searching for, the confidence you cannot find anywhere else. This is a good Friday. Make it your best Friday. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.